0: Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thank you for joining us as we begin our series on Does God Care How We Vote? I'm going to take a breather for a couple of weeks uh, in regards to our series through Ephesians. And I really, as we started praying through this months ago, I really felt the need to budget two weeks to really address the topic, Does God Care How We Vote?, and uh, that is a very, uh, th- this is very sensitive times in which we find ourselves living. It's very combative times right now. Uh, as I've said to you before, it's a lot easier to deal with people that are fragile than it is to deal with people that are hostile. And you're going to find a lot of hostility uh, during this time. But I wanted to speak into this space uh, over the next few weeks. And I pray that you would open your heart and your mind as we uh, contemplate Uh, from a biblical perspective, this whole concept of voting. Again, I've titled it, Does God Care How We Vote? And uh, most people, I believe, they start with the wrong question. They start with the question of who should I vote for. The more important question to deal with is how should I vote? Because your how will determine your who. Your how is going to drive your who. Asking the right question will allow us to arrive at the right answer. You've got to ask the right questions. And asking how has got to be the premise, I believe, as we start to dive in and tackle this topic. Now, I personally believe that the responsibility of the church And I believe personally, uh, my responsibility as pastor is to educate and equip God's people to view life from a divine kingdom perspective. I believe that we must enter into this space, into this conversation, into this discussion by looking at life from a kingdom divine perspective, and then, my hope is that the people that claim to be followers of Christ would then go out and exercise those kingdom divine principles of God in a healthy way wherever they live. So, let me give you a working definition. Uh, people have used this term over the years, the kingdom of God or God's kingdom. What are we talking about? God's kingdom in a simple definition is his complete and sovereign rule over all of creation. When people talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about that God is sovereign. He is in charge and he has complete reign and rule over what's happening. Sovereignty means this Sovereignty means that God is not accountable to anyone. God is God. And one of the premises that we have to uh, establish even in our own reasoning is God's not accountable to anyone. And I've used the cliche or the one-liner over the years that God didn't start when start got started. He started start and he didn't begin when the beginning began. He began the beginning, thus before there was time, God reached out where there was nowhere to reach and God caught something where there was nothing and he slung something into nowhere, told it to stay there, and it did. He took the hammer of his will, smote the anvil of his omnipotence, and caught the sparks in his fingertips and flipped them in his space, and he called them stars. And nobody said anything because there was nobody to say anything to. When we establish that God is sovereign and God is in complete control, we establish that God is not accountable to anyone. I want you to get that. That is an absolute fundamental principle and premise to build from. Now, God is still on his throne. God has not abandoned his sovereign rule. He reigns, he rules. Now, that being said, I think it's very important. If you're watching online, this is a very important understanding for me. As we move into The upcoming election, as we move into uh, the variety of of candidates that are out there uh, for this election, I want you to know the White House is not heaven and the president is not God. I think a lot of times, even for evangelicals, we treat the White House as if that's where God hangs out. And if we're not careful, we start to elevate man in such a way that it disturbs our perspective. President's not God. Now, the position of president is to be honored. But the person that occupies that seat is to walk with integrity. That's a fundamental understanding we've got to have, guys. Whoever it is, that person is to walk in integrity. But we have a huge responsibility. Now, I want to read something to you. Noah Webster, back in the 1800s, and I believe one of the best dictionaries you can read is the Noah Webster, Webster's 1828, uh, which defines most words from a very strong biblical uh, perspective, if you will. Webster's 1828 is great if you're doing word studies, whatever. But Noah Webster made this observation. He said, when you Exercise the right of voting for public officers. When you exercise that right, God commands that we choose for rulers just men, holy, righteous, sound reasoning men, just men. We're not talking about just men and not women. We're talking about just men who will rule in the fear of God. When you have that opportunity to cast the vote, We are called by God to put just men in those positions. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon become corrupted. Public revenues will be squandered on unworthy men and the rights of the citizens will be violated or disregarded. And that is one of the things that we've seen over the years because there's been people put in positions that did not belong in those positions. He goes on to say, and I think this is huge right here, if a government fails, it must be because the citizens neglect the divine commands of God, they elect bad men that will administer corrupt laws, if you will, in seeking and selecting men for office. Let principle be your guide. Look at his character. When a citizen gives his vote to a man known for immorality, he abuses his trust. He sacrifices not only his own personal interest, but that of his neighbor and that of his country. Now, I would encourage you to read through that. All of my notes will be online, but I want you to go back and comb through a principle-centered uh, narrative if you will that will drive how we're to approach even voting we as people that claim to be followers of Christ we who claim to be the church of the living God the body of Christ there's one head but we're many members of the body we are responsible as God's people we have a responsibility we're responsible to honor God by promoting and preserving his name. That, we have a responsibility. And we also have the responsibility to protect the interests of our neighbor and this country. We have a responsibility. Again, Webster says, if a government fails, it is because the citizens neglect the di- divine commands of God and they are like bad men. To make and administer laws. If we see a society failing, it's because the people have allowed corrupt people to take those positions. And I said, what he wrote some 200 years ago is so strong for us today. I would make this declaration, a gladiator kind of statement, if you will. What we do today will echo for eternity. What we do today echoes for eternity Your vote matters. My vote matters. And how we go about that voting process is essential. Now, the Citizens' Almanac, and I would encourage you to read through these. But the Citizens' Almanac, there's a website that you can uh, link here. It lists the rights and responsibilities that we have as American citizens, now, here, here, here's just a few of the rights that we have. We have the freedom to express ourselves. We have the freedom to worship as we wish in this country. Uh, we have the right to a fair trial by jury. We have the right to vote in elections for public officials. That's one of our rights. We have the right to apply for federal employment requiring U.S. citizenship. That's one of the rights. U.S. citizens, we, we have the right. Uh, we have the right to run for elected office. Uh, We have the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we have the right to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, whether it be foreign or even domestic. Those are rights that we have, okay? It is important as a citizen of this country who belongs ultimately to God to understand what our rights are. Now, here's our responsibilities. It is our responsibility to stay informed, of the issues that are affecting our community. We need to know what's going on around here. We need to know what's happening locally. We need to know what's happening within the state, even within the nation. And we should have our eyes open to what's happening uh, happening globally. And so we we have a responsibility to pay attention to see what's up. Uh, We have a responsibility to participate in the voting process. We have a responsibility to respect federal, state, and local laws. Respect the rights and the beliefs and opinions of others. We have the responsibility to participate in our local communities. We should be actively involved. God's called us to be salt and light in the community. We have a responsibility to pay taxes. Honestly, and on time, again, federal, state, and local, that's part of our responsibility. I'll I'll, I'll deal with taxes here in a bit. We have a responsibility to serve on a jury when called upon, and we have the responsibility to defend this country if need be. Those are the rights and responsibilities that we have. Now, liberty and freedom require responsibility. I heard it said years ago that the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast must be met by a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. In order for liberty to exist, there has to be responsibility. Freedom, freedom, freedom is not the privilege to do as you want. True freedom defined is the responsibility to do as we should. We have freedom, but freedom implies responsibility. In Genesis chapter 2, we see where God in verse 16 says, I'm going to place man in the garden and you are free to eat. Man was extended freedom. Man violated freedom. Man was irresponsible, the silence of Adam. And as a result, sin entered into the, uh, the equation that disrupted humanity at all levels. So true freedom implies that we will exercise responsibility in maximizing all that God created us to be. So if, if, if a person looked at me and said, what is freedom? I would say freedom is you maximizing all the gifts, abilities, all the talents and skill set that God's given you. It is you maximizing that for the glory of God and for the good of your neighbor. That's freedom. Freedom is living out who God intended for us to be. So freedom implies that we're going to manage, develop, and expand what God's given us. That is a responsibility that we have as believers. That should be taken to heart by each and every one of us. Now, here's what we know. If you go against the boundaries and the principles that God has set forth in Scripture, if you go against his principles and his values, we know that the results will be severe. The scripture says that the soul that sins will surely die. That is severe. So we have the freedom to choose to do wrong, but we cannot choose to avoid the consequences of doing wrong. And when a nation and as a, a, a people turn their back against God and ignore God, and that all hell starts breaking loose, and they want to know as Where is God now? We've rejected God as a nation. We've denounced God. It's a bad time we're living in. People have shunned God. We don't want God in our courthouses. We don't want God in our schoolhouses. We don't want God in, in leadership in this nation. And this nation is suffering right now the consequences of continual rebellion against God. I believe that with all my heart. So as we head into these last days, contemplating uh, the presidential campaign, if you will, candidates have stood, and you can land wherever, and you've heard so-called debates about issues like the economy, health care, social issues, abortion, immigration, whatever, and, 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 and we've heard these people talk. And I want to make a personal statement to you of where I'll land, okay? I'm going to drive principle. I'm going to drive truth. But I want to make this statement. I do not believe, I do not believe it is my job as pastor to tell you who to vote for. I do not. And I've seen some people get mad because they say you won't take a stand on who. Who? I'm gonna take a stand on how. I'm gonna take a stand on what. I personally do not believe it is wise for pastors to become entangled in partisan politics. I don't. And there's reasons behind that, and I'll unpackage this uh, here in a second. I do believe God's called me to pastor, I do not believe God has called me to be a politician. However, I do believe it is my responsibility to proclaim the Scripture, the Word of God, without hesitation and reservation, even on issues that are political. I've got a responsibility to be an ambassador of the Lord in the proclamation of truth. Preach principles, preach values, preach truth. Do not minimize and do not negotiate these whatsoever. Theologian John Stott defined politics this way. And I think this is a great definition of politics. He says, politics is about the life of the city and the responsibilities of the citizens. What is politics? It is concerned with how we do life in human society. A simple definition for me of politics is it's the art and science of living together in community. Now, that that would be just a, a simple definition of politics. So you've got to ask the question, as followers of Jesus and students of Yeshua, was Jesus involved in politics? Here's what we know. He never formed a political party. He never adopted a political program. He never organized a political protest. If you study the life of Jesus, if anything, he renounced a political career because people were trying to make him this earthly king, this earthly leader, and his kingdom was way beyond just what the earth had to offer. So, in in, in one sense, when you look at him, you go, well, he never He never formed a political party. He never adopted a political program. He never established a political protest. But in a broader sense, his entire ministry was political. In a broader sense, the entire mission and ministry of Jesus was political. How can you say that? Because he came into the world— to do life with human community. And if politics simply defined means the art and science of living together in community, Jesus was all about how to properly live life in community. That's what he was all about. And not only did he do that, he calls you and I, his followers, to do the same. I want you to establish, and I want you to lead in the community. I want you to model and show people how to do life. I want you to show people where life is found. So the kingdom, the kingdom again, of God that Jesus established was a new radical social organization. Jesus brought new teachings Jesus even said, you can't pour new wine into old wineskin. Jesus brought new teachings. And his values and principles and how he taught challenged the old system. That's the reason, again, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Herodians, all these people struggle with Jesus. The teachings of Jesus had political implication. Because the teachings of Jesus was all about how to do life In community, it was about how to do life in marriage, how to do life with your neighbor. Jesus repeatedly makes this statement in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I say to you. So he brings in a new radical social perspective when it comes to doing life. Jesus was concerned with principle and truth. Because they direct and define the way humanity does life. When you study Jesus, he was constantly contradicting the old system, and he was bringing in and ushering in, here's how you do life. That's the reason his bold proclamation, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus was offering a new way of life. So in one sense, no, he didn't start a political movement. No, he wouldn't allow him to make him an earthly king. But in the purest sense, he cared about community and life. Now, Matthew 22, it's a familiar text, and it's one of my kind of favorite texts, if you will, to ponder, is we contemplate and consider this whole thing on how should we vote? How do we do life in community? Starting in verse 15, it says, the Pharisees rallied together on how they might trap Jesus and what he said. The Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to twist him up, tie him up. They sent their disciples along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, now listen to the butter statement here. We know you are truthful. We know you teach the way of God in truth. Oh, we know you defer to no one. There's no other man you're equal. We know you're not partial to anyone. So tell us what you think, Jesus. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Hey, Jesus, tell us what you think. Jesus perceived the malice inside their hearts and said, "Uh, why are you testing me? you hypocrites. Show me the coin used for poll tax. Show me the coin. They brought him a denarius. I'll break it down. He said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, it's Caesar's. Jesus said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God. Now you got to you got to kind of catch the scenario here, if you will. Uh, Jesus is confronted with a political question. They're trying to trap him. They want him killed. And this is days before his arrest and crucifixion right here when you study this. I mean, these are in the last days of Jesus' earthly life. And they come to him with a loaded question. They come to him thinking that he's got to give an either or. The Pharisees, when you study them, they're insulted by Jesus' teachings. He exposed their hypocrisy. The Pharisees and the Herodians, when you start to look at these two groups, they absolutely despised each other. They hated each other. They would not have any affiliation with each other, but they joined together because of their dislike and hatred for Jesus, and nothing Nothing unites people together oftentimes more than a common enemy. We, we've got this enemy here, Blake, and, and they're going to come together and conspire together, not because of what's right, not because of compassion, not because of truth. We're going to come together and we're going we're to align ourselves because he is jacking with us. Now, when you study it, the Pharisees opposed paying taxes. Because they did not want to submit to Roman authority. Now, the Herodians supported paying taxes because Herod's government was funded by this. Herodians, the Herods, if you will, the followers. The Pharisees, they didn't like Jesus because they said, you're way too socially involved. The Herodians didn't like Jesus because they said, "Uh, he's over here teaching the kingdom of God, telling people to repent. He's way too hyper spiritually can I tell you something while I'm here? If you're looking to find fault with somebody, it doesn't take too much effort. People that try to find fault with me, or fa- fault with Nick, in the way we do worship, or fault with our philosophy of ministry—if you—if you, if you want to find something to pick apart, you can find it. it. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. Jesus is pure. Jesus is God in flesh. And, and, and if we learn anything from even Jesus, he, he knew he couldn't make everybody happy. But he knew that the ones that were willing to repent and follow him, he can make them holy. And I think a lot of times you see people in pulpits and people in political uh, positions, if you will, and they're trying to make everybody happy and you can't. If you make everybody happy, you're going to negotiate and violate a lot of principle yourself. Jesus, we're going to trap you here. That's the intent of their heart. Jesus, you got to choose a side. So if Jesus comes and says he's opposed to taxes, he's going to be in trouble with Rome. But if Jesus comes and says he supports taxes, he's going to be in trouble with the Jews. we got him trapped. We're about to jack with him here. We're going to push them into a corner. Now, you know as well as I do that a government government cannot function without taxes. But if you're like me, you sit here and look at it, and you go, taxes are such a point of contention. Why are there so many things being taxed? Why are they so high? And why do those in leadership spend our money so poorly? If you're like me, I struggle with the way taxes are handled in this country. But yet, before God, I'm to submit to governing authority. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. And it's a point of tension. Back to Jesus. What do you say? We got you trapped. You've got an either or right here. And how are you going to handle it? And Jesus says, uh, I see your madness, I see your malice. And he calls them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. He, he said, you guys clean the tomb and you look all good on the outside, but, but, but you're nothing more than bitter hearts and distorted lives. He calls them hypocrites. And a hypocrite is a person who says one thing but means something else. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're inconsistent with what you say. Jesus says, you, you, you hypocrites. He didn't say Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Herodians, you're okay. Or he didn't say Herodians, you're hypocrites. And he goes, y'all are hypocrites. Y'all don't care about truth. Y'all buttered me up telling me that I was a teacher from God and I came representing truth. And, and you know I would give correct answer. You guys all along were trying to just plot together to undermine and trap me. And people will do that oftentimes. Hypocrite. They're not seeking truth. Here's one of the things I've kind of pondered over the years. If you watch political debates, sometimes you're left wondering, is there any person running for office that's not a hypocrite? It's kind of the old humor that said, is there a such thing as a Christian lawyer? Sometimes you sit there and you have to scratch your head going, well, these, are, these are troubling times. Jesus said, uh, show me the coin. Bring, bring, bring me the coin. They brought him the coin. And he says, uh, hmm, a denarius. This, if you will, in that day, the denarius was a silver minted coin that had Caesar's image, if you will, on the coin. And this was used, if you will, as the acceptable currency of that day for paying taxes. And Jesus says, uh, who, 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 whose image is on the coin? Remember when he told Peter to go down and fish, and he caught that fish, and he says, take the silver out of it and go pay the taxes. He, he goes, whose image? They're like Caesar's. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give to Caesar. I want you to render, pay back, give. I want you to give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. But I want you to give to God the things that belong to God. What was the implied? And this was a very transforming kind of truth for me. Whose image is on that? Caesar. But the implied is whose image is on your life? Whose image have you been made in? And the punch that Jesus makes right here, it's not about a denarius. It's about your life. You've been made in the image of God. Why don't you give God your life? He exposes them. We've been called to give God our complete all. Whose image are you made in? I'm made in the image of God. Am I yielding back and rendering back and giving back all that belongs to God? Am I walking in a way that reflects the goodness of God? Am I walking in a holy way before God? It's not a political thing. Jesus throws it back and says, the question really that you posed was to try to trap me. But the real question is, Whose image are you made in? Are you repenting? Are you surrendering? Are you yielding? So when you study this, Jesus' answer, in a sense, validates civil government. But Jesus' answer limits government. It's important when you read this. You are only... Responsible to give to the government government that which God has authorized the government to be responsible for. The government constantly oversteps its bounds. Next week as I get into more of this conversation, I want to break down the four governments, if you will, that all of us uh, are really involved in. The first one is self-government, where you're to govern yourself individually. The next is family The third is church, and the fourth is the civil government. And you know as well as I do, if individuals really surrendered and yielded back and gave back to God all that belonged to God, the need for civil government would be reduced if individuals were carrying themselves and conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And then if the family was working together as God intended, It would reduce the need for civil government because the family would be flourishing. And the third is the church. If the church was flourishing as God calls us to, Brian, we wouldn't need civil government because God's people and families and individuals would be living in such a way. We wouldn't need all this other to correct us and direct us because we would be doing it for the glory of God. I'll get into that more next week. But I want you to think about this. For an example, his statement, all right, validates that civil government government is okay. it's, It's validated, but it also limits it. When the government assumes the role as a parent and pays someone's bill that refuses to work, they've overstepped there are boundaries. When you read Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3 says, if a man does not work, he shouldn't eat. Now, I'm not talking about a man who cannot work. I'm talking about a man that refuses to work. If a man does not Work and he can work, you do not give him a welfare check to applaud him being irresponsible. When the government pays for laziness and paralyzes the working man by elevating taxes, we have a problem. If you don't work, you don't eat. That that was the mindset biblically, and we're living in such a society where the working man or the man who's really seeking to work gets penalized and paralyzes even more for his effort to work. The government has overstepped its bounds. That is not the government's responsibility. It is not the government's responsibility to applaud, award, and yield to those who are irresponsible and lazy. Never has been. That's the reason, as we think through uh, election, and as we look at the positions that the candidates have, we really have got to look at the biblical kingdom principles and values. What does God have to say? Has God spoken in that area? Now, that being said, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says this, Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Civil government has been instituted by God. God allows this to exist for his glory. We need just men who fear God to occupy these positions. Now, just men who will fear God. So the, the scripture repeatedly teaches us that as citizens, we have an obligation We have an obligation based on Romans 13, based on certain teachings in 1 Peter, we have an obligation to submit to governing authorities. Then we should make sure that everything we're doing places those people in those positions, governing authorities, that are people of principle, integrity, and extreme high moral conduct that stand on biblical truth. If the state requires us to go against the commands and statutes of God, then I believe we can refuse to submit. When you look at the life of Peter and John, they're like, we're going to obey God even if you beat us and kill us. Daniel before Nebuchadnezzar, and you look at Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, those guys, when... They were thrown into the lion's den or the fiery furnace. They're like, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. So there's, there's mandates in Scripture, I believe, for the believer, honor God. Do not, do not go against the corruption. Okay? You don't, don't do that. When a nation... And certain principles and policies and all this stuff exist. And I'm going to dive deeper into this next week. But when a nation endorses, supports, and yields money toward organizations that kill babies, you cannot expect God's hand to be on that nation. A nation that is okay with murder. How can God bless that nation? It is against everything God is about. Our God is a God of life. He is a God of life. And I can tell you this. Stop. Jesus is not running for office. I wish he was. I wish Jesus was running for office. As we look at even where we're at again, you're going, is there any perfect candidates? There's only one perfect man that ever lived. His name's Jesus. We have to stay focused on kingdom values and kingdom principles. How should we vote? And I personally believe that we've got to vote for the one who is going to best advance biblical values. Jesus. Jesus. Pick a side. Are you Democrat or are you Republican? And people just, there's people made in God's image out there in different camps. Do you hear me? Every person that's out there doing some political campaign has been made in the image of God. Are they reflecting that image? Many are not. I will personally tell you this. Okay, I will personally tell you this, and I mean this with all my heart. If a candidate does not support a life agenda, that candidate does not need to be in any position whatsoever. Candidates that push Okay, sign off and endorse abortion. I can't, I cannot go there. It is an anti life agenda. Same sex marriage is an anti life agenda. God instituted marriage, it is one man with one woman. Adam and Bob cannot reproduce. It's an anti-life agenda. You, you can't. So when you see, and G.K. Chesterton made this statement years ago. He said tolerance is the virtue for the man with no conviction. We cannot tolerate essential principles, standards, and values as we move in to this election time. I want to see God's people educated. I want to see God's people equipped. I want to see God's people established on truth. Does God care how we vote? Yes. He does. Here's my close. We have a responsibility and we are responsible to honor God. Okay. We're responsible. How do you do it? We are to promote and preserve His name. God will fight for us, but we have got to promote and preserve the name of our God. Again, the elimination from the elimination of God and God's standards and God's principles in so many areas has brought havoc on this nation. The second thing I would say is, we need to protect. The interest of our neighbor and the interest of future generations. That is the responsibility that we have. People go, ah, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Getting the right person in the right seat and getting the right people around him matters. We have a responsibility to protect what is the best interest of our country. We have a responsibility to secure the sanctity of human life from the womb to the tomb. We should care about every face because every life is created in the image of God. And again, I believe our fight should be to secure the institution of marriage defined biblically as one man and one woman. That, that, that's what the book says. That's what the book says. And so... I want to encourage you as you ponder this, if you're watching it online, God cares how you vote, but allow principle and truth to drive you. Do not, please do not think who, but think how, and think what. Think what are the principles, what are the values, what are the truths that God has laid out, and I don't want to see any of us contradict the Word of God. I don't want to see any of us negotiate divine kingdom principles when it comes to moving into this. Is it a tension area? It is. But we've got to stand on the word, and we've got to stand on truth. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, We hope that you really pulled some things out of it, and just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. We pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.